Well, the topic is no turning back, so I'm not allowed to look back. So um, we'll focus on baptism. And um, as you saw in, in the, um, after the president's promo, um, there was the baptism. And have you noticed when they all came out of the water with their hands raised? I just think that's just amazing because they encounter and they experience something in the waters and they come up, as the Bible tells us, it's in Romans 6 that you come up a new creation, that we actually symbolize a death of an old life to come up with a new. John the Baptist came and he was offering everyone repentance. And that might sound like a really heavy word, but what he was saying was, you know what? You know, we've lived this life. It's time to come and get cleaned, clean it up. Let's go and start again. He was offering that. And um, in Romans 6, it always also talks about that we do it publicly. We do it in, in front of people. We make this declaration that I'm, you know, I've been far away from God and death is like absence from God and then I'll get buried and rise up a new creation in Christ. That's just an awesome thing. So I wanna encourage anyone here that hasn't been baptized or even has and feels like a need, feels like, you know, um, God's calling you to do it. Next Sunday, it's gonna be a great day. Love you guys to be here with us. Um, Also in Romans 12, talks about the renewing of your mind. The only way that I've been able to renew my mind is by reading God's word daily. And you probably hear that all the time, preachers saying that. But you know what? There's no formulas, there's no secrets. The truth is, renewal of mind is reading God's word and then getting a Jesus perspective on everything that we do. You know, I don't know if, um, probably showing my age here, I don't know if anyone seen the Beverly Hillbillies. Okay, <laughs> from the laughter you have. Okay, if you remember the family, you know, they, they were in a, come from the hillbillies uh, uh, place and they struck oil, became rich. So their location changed. They bought a place in Beverly Hills. Their locations changed. But if you know, I mean, it's funny as it is, they continued to live the hillbilly life. Their mentality, their, the way they think, their mindset was still in poverty, even though their location had changed. And it's similar to the Israelites. Israelites were freed. God came down, you know, 10 plagues, seas open, go across, but their location changed, but the mentality was always back into that place. And we need to have a new way of thinking. God's promises is to bless us if we sow with a joyful and generous heart. God's promise is to direct your path if you acknowledge him in all your ways. God's promise is to forgive you if you forgive others. So knowing God's promises, how? By actually reading, getting into that word and reading the word and renewing my mind. I'm not gonna hold a grudge against my wife for not cooking me dinner last night. Because if I do, he'll hold the grudge against me. I don't want that. Anyway, so we go, we learn about, (laughs) we learn about like, I want to go into the Exodus because there's the crossing of the Jordan, uh, of the Red Sea was a kind of baptism for the Hebrew people. And I just want to unfold a few things. So if you can just um, bear with me here, okay. There was a cry in Egypt. They've been um, slaves for so many years. And there's a cry for Egypt for God, save us. God hears them, sends Moses, prepares him, sends him in there. And then we hear about the power of God manifesting through 10 plagues. But within that 10 plagues, the last one was the killer. And it was the blood over the doorposts that saved 
the Jews. The point of the 10 plagues and the miraculous Red Sea crossing was to demonstrate the incredible power of God on behalf of his chosen people. The result of these was that the world would know the power of God. When they'd hear about the Jews or about Israel, they would remember the power of God and what he had done, and they would shudder. They would actually be afraid of attacking them. The world would know that there would be no greater God than the God of the Hebrews. The prophets and the poets of Israel years later would interpret the Exodus in this way in Isaiah 63, 12 to 14. Who led them by the night, um, by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm, dividing the water before them to make for himself an everlasting name. Who led them through the deep as a horse in the wilderness that they might not stumble as a beast goes down into the valley and the spirit of the Lord causes him to rest so you will lead your people to make yourself a glorious name. God wanted to make his name glorious and everlasting. Psalms 106, 7, 8. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake that he might make his name, his mighty power known. God's purpose for the Exodus wasn't just to save some people, save some slaves. His purpose was, was to make his name known, not just in other people, but also in yours. So you would know his name. So the Jews would know his name. His purpose hasn't changed today. His purpose in touching your life isn't just to free you from the yoke of sin. Yet he does that. His desire is to make his name known in all the earth. His desire that all people would come to know him. All people. We pray for this city every week and even throughout the week so that his name will be known. The whole earth would know him as God, that would know him as your, and you, that you would know him as your loving God. So let's just pray. Heavenly Father, let's just commit this night to you right now. We just pray, Lord God, that your name be known afresh tonight. Lord God, we pray that you would just open our hearts and you would speak to each and every one of us, Lord God. But I pray, Lord God, that we can learn to know you more by your spirit, Father God, that we'll learn to trust you. That, Lord, that tonight would be something new, that we'd be able to go deeper, deeper in you. In Jesus' name, amen. In the Exodus um, 13, verse 17, when Pharaoh finally let his people go, God did not lead them, listen to this, along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route. What are you doing, God? to the promised land. God said, if the people, now here it is, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and turn back, return to Egypt. See, God didn't wanna take the shortcut. He wanted to actually teach the people something about himself. He wanted them to learn to love him, to serve him and to trust him. Because when the day of battle comes, if there's a way to run, they would take that. He wanted them to trust him. He wanted, to, again, I believe, to show them his power, to show his name glorious. Most new Christians, maybe not you, most new Christians have this nice little honeymoon period. I know I had it, where everything started to go so smooth from the day I gave my life to Jesus. I was receiving answered prayers. I would have a clear conscience of all my sins being forgiven. 
I would experience um, how good the presence of God is. It would be so easy to sing praises to him and everything was gone. Right, but along the way, something happens that tests whether we are in love with God or because of what he does for us. I believe that this test is that everyone might experience. It's a test that says, do you follow me because I gave you things? Do you follow me because I gave you the wife you prayed for? Do you follow me because I gave you the house you've asked for? Do you follow me because I gave you that job? Do you follow me because I healed your loved ones? Do you follow him because of what he does or because of who he is? Do you love the thing more, that thing more than him if you were to lose it? Would you leave him? It's a challenge when I was putting this together. And I'm thinking, wow, do I love the gift more than the giver? Do I love him just because he blesses my life? No, I don't believe that's true in any of us really right now, unless you're challenged with that. I believe that as we serve him, he will bless us. As we love him, he will love us. See, he first loved us and it's a response. Our response back to him. So I, I think it was about seven days when, when the Hebrews left Egypt and they get to a place where they wanted to camp. And we're talking million, I think, don't quote me, two to three million people left Egypt together. They had some unleavened bread to eat and they had their flocks ahead of them and they started out in a hurry and have gone without rest. When they finally set up camp, it was at Etham, at the edge of the wilderness. Then God does something that's a little bit weird. In Exodus 14, 1 to 4, here it is. Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses. Order the Israelites to turn back and camp by, who can pronounce that? Between <laughs> Migdol and the sea. Camp there along the shore across from Baal Zephon. Then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness and once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will chase after you. Wow, really needed to know that. I have planned this in order, again, listen to it, to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there. Turn back. Verse two, he made them turn back. They were just about to camp. They've been traveling all this time. You know, and they've been praising God that they've left Egypt, okay, and time to rest. He says, no, no, I don't want you resting here. Rest here. To the west, I think it was um, to the west, there was just mountains. To the east, there was the sea. Nothing in between. They were trapped. They were hemmed in. They were in a place that is so dangerous. It was a dead end. There is no escape and no way out. They are trapped. But God knows what he's doing. Who knows that God knows what he's doing? When you find yourself trapped and there's no way out, believe me, God knows what he's doing. He closes off their escape route just as he closes off ours in life. How many times have we been in a place where we could see no way out? But yet, if you look back, there was, God created it and God made it. He hems us in and makes it so we cannot go back to our former life. See, that's his purpose. When you think there's no way out, it's because so he doesn't want you going back there. Why would he do such a thing? It is because he has a solution to meet your needs far, that would meet your needs far greater than you can ever, ever imagine. Maybe you have put your hand to the plow 
as Jesus says in Luke 9.62, where Jesus told them anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Have you hit a dead end in your life? Are you starting to look back at your old life and saying, you know what, it really wasn't that bad? I was having a good time back then. I was having a lot of fun. There was no restrictions on my life. But can I just say right now, it was the cry and it was, it was the cry of your heart and it was the bitterness that you were copying in that life and everything that caused you to get to your knees and start crying out to God. And that's what he said. That's the life he saved you from. He does not want you to turn back and go there. I don't care how bad it looks. There is, it might look like a dead end, but trust me, our God is greater. God is setting a trap for proud Pharaoh. How proud is Pharaoh? Very proud. He gets reports from his forts and outposts throughout the land, and he hears that the Hebrews are trapped. He says, righto, here we go. I can get them now. I'll chase after them. They've, you know, like after what's happened, he just changes his mind. God's heart in his heart. He's going to chase after them. So he, so he gathers gold chariots, the Bible tells us. I think about 600 of them. Again, don't quote me. And all the others in his army and advances, they catch up to them. Now, the Hebrew scouts on the mountain see the enemy, and can I just tell you, they send panic throughout the land. Because, I mean, you think about it. So many million people, a couple of million people trapped, sea there, Egypt there, mountains, and the army's coming towards you, chariots riding hard against you. There was panic in the land. Exodus 14, 12. And when there's panic, here's what happened. Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It is better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. How many times have we gotten to that stage where we see that there is, is not a way and then we just start getting angry with God? Egypt the land of slavery, which I don't want to be a slave, you know, but there's a way that God is they're getting angry. It's, he delivers us his answers, the prayers of our heart and sets us free. And then for some reason, we find ourselves in a spot in our lives where we're getting, it always happens that the honeymoon period, when we first come to know Jesus, we receive the answers prayers. We're in this great place. We're praising God. And then we hit a hump in our life. And when that hump comes, we start to get angry with God. We say, you know what? Look what's going on here, you know? But we need to move forward, not to move back. If the Israelites were to move back, I, I think the Bible would be written a different way. We wouldn't know what would happen. But they stayed still because here's what um, Moses cried out. Exodus 13 and 14. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. So can everybody just say that? Don't be afraid. Fear will stop us from going forward every time. Fear will cause us to retrieve or every time and retreat. Fear will cause us to go back. Don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today, here's the promise, will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you and just stay calm. We don't want panic. We want to listen to the word of the Lord. We want to stay calm. For you is the word saying that I'm going to do something that you can't do. The Lord will work for you. He will deliver you. The Lord will work for you. For you means um, the impossible, the things that you can't do, I will do for you because you see them as being impossible. He isn't interested in what you can do for him. 
He wants to do something for you in heaven, eternity. Um, it is not what we do for God that is written there. It is what he has done for us. That's what's written in eternity. So there is the army that's coming for us. There's no escape. Then Romans 8.31 says, What shall we say about these wonderful things as these? Is God for us? Who can, who can ever be against us? This is like a fantastic scripture that I've used. Can I just tell you now, there is no Egyptian army, no Egyptian pharaoh, there is no sickness, there is no addiction, there's no temptation, there's no depression, there is nothing that can be against you if God is for you. Why can't we live that in our lives? If we just, just read the scripture, renew the mind, allow Jesus to come in and see the perspective that he puts on life, I walk around and I'll say, if God is for me, who can be against me? What is going on in my life? Work? Man, I'm struggling at work, but can I tell you now? There's no struggle that God can't take care of. Sickness? There's no sickness that God can't heal. Depression? Get off. Get off. God is bigger than depression if God is for us. God just doesn't free Israel from slavery in the Exodus, guys. Can I just tell you? It's no good freeing you from something if I'm not going to deliver you to something. He has a promise. He has a promise that he get delivered from slavery into the promised land. Into the promised land, he deliver us. And it's not enough. Promises of answer prayer. That's one of his promises, answer prayer. I was talking to someone earlier this evening, actually, and a prayer took 20 years to be answered, but it got answered. I shared the story a couple of weeks ago about a prayer in Rhonda's heart. 12 years, 20, sorry, yeah, again, about 20 years, 12, yeah, about 20 years later, it got answered and we saw it. Prayers, answered, promises, promises of abundant living. Jesus said it himself, I didn't come here. I came here to give you life and life in abundance. There's the promise of abundant living. How do we get all that? I believe again, I can't do it unless I renew my mind with a Jesus perspective, read the scripture, allow it to enter. How are we doing so far? Exodus 14, 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. We need to stop crying. We need to start moving. Enough, enough. We need to stop crying. You know, we complain so much that sometimes we miss what God is saying. He's saying to move forward. He's saying to move on. He's not saying to sit down and moan and groan and complain. Keep moving. That's the God that we serve. We cry too much. We moan too much. We complain too much. Why haven't I got this and why haven't I got that? Why is he being blessed and why not being blessed? Can I ask a question? Getting up at five o'clock in the morning, he's praying. He's seeking God every day of his life. And God's just opening up doors for him. You're sleeping until nine o'clock. <laughs> you haven't got a job. Come on. Like money doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> Why is he so healthy? Well, he gets up and goes to the gym. Why? You? Well, because you eat Kentucky. Oops. <laughs> we need to get the right perspective, church. But we need to stop crying. We need to start moving. Move forward. God is calling us to move. But the words of our God who doesn't have limitations, he says, take a step of faith. We talk about faith a lot. You know, moving needs faith. 
it doesn't just, we don't just move into anything. We move with faith in our hearts, knowing that God's going to move with us. So listen to what um, God says to Moses, 14, 16. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites, somebody needs to stop crying and start raising their hands. Somebody needs to stop crying and start praising God. No, stop complaining. No, I'm saying stop complaining. We need to raise our hands over that thing and you will see the thing that stands between you and the promise disappear, but not in our complaining. We now praise, we praise, we praise. Raise your hands over that thing and watch the sea divide. Watch the glory of God in your life. Raise your hands and move. And as the band comes up, we look at the last passage. So Moses raised his hand over the sea and the waters parted and Israel crossed on dry ground. The Egyptians followed in pursuit. How scary would that be? Okay, we've seen God's power. Waters have parted. Walking through in, a, in awe of what's going on here. Then we look behind us and they're still coming. But there was a promise given earlier. These Egyptians that you'll see, you will see never again because he will fight for you. Exodus 14, 26 and 27, when all the Israelites has reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, raise your hand over the sea again. Then the waters will rush back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand again over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. If we can summarize, the Jewish people faced an impossible situation. They were hemmed in, there was no way out. On one side water, on the other side mountains, and in front of them, the Egyptians coming at them. The journey of faith and suffering, symbolic of the cross. The crossing through the water, through the sea, symbolic of baptism. On the other side behind them were the Egyptians, symbolic of the world. Ahead of them was the promise. Though none may join me, though none may join me, I will still follow him. I won't follow Jesus just because of what he's done for me. I will follow him because I know who he is. He's real in my life. I won't, I won't stop following him because you mock me. I won't stop following him because you think it's a silly thing to follow someone you can't see. There's no turning back for me. I've experienced something in my life. I've seen Jesus for myself. I've heard his voice. I know his love. No turning back for me. I will follow him. They crossed the waters. They could never return. They've been delivered supernaturally. The sea now is back to normal and it's deep. There's no boats. No boats to get them back. So there's no return. No turning back for them. But we make a choice in our life. And I can tell you, I've decided to follow Jesus. I don't know if all of us here have made that decision to follow Jesus or not, but I can tell you one thing. If you have and you're thinking 
because you've hit a, you know, a bit of a hurdle in your life and you're thinking, well, that life that I left didn't look that bad. It doesn't look that bad right now. So I can just say, just because you didn't get some stuff, doesn't mean you, need to, you, know, you should turn back. Just because your prayers were unanswered, doesn't mean you blame God for that. Just because you weren't healed, don't walk out on your church. There's a thing called waiting, and we do it with grace, and we see the power of God come. Also, I want you to think, when God called out the Jews, he, he didn't screen them. He didn't see if anybody was on drugs. He didn't see, look to see and test if anybody was an alcoholic. He didn't look to see if anybody's had children out of wedlock. He called them all in. And he calls us all in. We need to acknowledge um, a need for Jesus, a need to be saved, a need to have a personal relationship with him because he desires to have one with you. That was the purpose for him coming. You need to acknowledge that we have a past. The Bible tells us it's clear. All have fallen short of the glory of God. So we do have a past. But there's good news. Even though I was a sinner, Jesus still chose to die for me. And there's a price. The Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. <laughs> but there's also more good news because he paid that price. So we wouldn't have to. And when you get to that point, there's a prayer that needs to be prayed. And the Bible is clear. It says that if you confess with your lips, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Not might be, you shall be. 